Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Indeed, there is a war for our souls. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your faithfulness to us in the midst of this battle, in the midst of this war, that you, Lord God, know our hearts. You know the strategy. You know history from the beginning to the end. You, Lord God, are the one who gives us eyes to see, ears to hear. You send the prophets, Lord God, to lead and teach us. You send those who are diligent to examine uh, your word and your scripture, Lord, to present to us and understanding what's going on. So, Father, today as we talk, may you speak, may your spirit speak as the oracles of God through us uh, to give us an understanding of what is going on in this world. We thank you for Doug, your servant, and we thank you, Lord God, for divine protection that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that no word said, no deed done, no action taken by the enemy will be able to bring forth any shame, trouble, or reproach to any of us. And to those who are listening, we pray that you draw them in today. Draw them to listen to this show. Lord, I know there are are those who diligently listen and want to know. So, God, give us understanding, wisdom, counsel, protection. You are the faithful witness. We're just excited about you, Lord Jesus, and your return. This is totally exciting. So, Father, guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, welcome, Doug. Doug Woodward. Thank you for coming back. (laughs) Thank you for having me. You're welcome. I'm good. I'm good, and and uh, yeah, I, I, we had uh, you know the Jewish New Year yesterday. I I really didn't do anything special for it. Uh, not in the Hebrew Roots movement, but certainly acknowledge it and uh, happy for our yeah. Jewish uh, brothers and sisters, and and hopefully yeah. future Jewish brothers and sisters. And yeah. uh, and it's a significant time, no doubt about you know, that. You know, speaking of the new Jewish New Year, I. I just learned something yesterday, and I'm appreciate because I've always been think I always thought that their 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 year began with the the month of Nisan and the Passover, and then we have Rosh Hashanah, and this is the new year. So what's the new year? Well, then I found out that there's actually two cycles that are going on in in the Jewish traditions that are six months apart. One is the civil calendar, which was yesterday's Happy New Year. And the other one is the sacred calendar, which starts with the you know the the death of Jesus and the pas- the the, um, the Passover. Passover. Is that correct? And, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, uh, yeah the whole Tishak, uh the full the full moon that begins uh, at mm-hmm. that time. That that's the, the the spiritual calendar, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So yeah, God, I think, I think it's one you... one Nisan. I think is when that is. Yeah, right, exactly. And that's usually in in, uh, March or April, isn't it, kind of? Correct. And then we have our calendar, which is a third calendar. So when people are trying to set dates and stuff, it can get a little messy. Um, Oh, it does. Yes, it does. (laughs) I have to use uh, calendar converter programs to be able to go back and forth between what's the Hebrew date, such and such a year. And happily, these things are out on the Internet, so they're really easy and available for us to use. And so uh, it helps it helps us Gentiles understand more about the Jewish culture and, yeah. and their calendar and their holidays. Well, speaking of the new year yesterday and, and what 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 do you see that that's kicking off? September is half done. 
Um, lots of predictions. You wrote a blog, an awesome blog, by the way, guys. It's called, a Sept- is, is, Will This Be a September to Remember? Will It or mm-hmm. Won't It? So is there anything yeah. that you want to talk about with our remaining uh, you know, days of September here? We've had a lot right. of projections and prophecies and prognostications. So what do you say? Right. Well, of course, the uh, one of the early ones uh, that has been uh, in the news really for months and months would would be that yesterday on Rosh Hashanah, uh, which is you know the day after the 29th of Elul, which was Sunday, that mm-hmm. we would see a dramatic stock market decline. And uh, let me let me look and see what I have. I can I can probably raise this up real fast and, mm-hmm. and see what see the what stock, stock market is doing here. Yeah, well, while, yeah. So while fast, you're looking, but, uh, I, I did hear they, di- they it took a dive a couple of days ago, or the beginning right. of the month, and then it kind of re- rallied a little bit because people were buying up the, you know, yeah, quickly yeah. rebuying. It was, down, it was down a couple hundred points yesterday. It's recovered, you know, basically today. Uh, you got the Dow at about sixteen thousand five hundred. You got the Nasdaq a little below five thousand. Uh, the S&P uh, 500 is a little below 2,000. What that says is that we had we had some correction of around 10 percent, um, mm-hmm. and that was occurred about a month ago. And mm-hmm. I had predicted that we might see as much as a 3,000 point decline. We've seen almost that, uh, and I'm not really a financial analyst. I, I was just yeah. saying, look, I don't think we're going to see a, a major mm-hmm. drop in the stock market. My view, which I have maintained for a long time, is that the, the the thing that would precipitate a real drop in the stock market is some type of cataclysm. Think nine one one, think nine point oh earthquake on the west coast, you know, mm-hmm. something like yeah. that that would be so disruptive to the economy that it would have big ramifications right. in the stock market. Short of that, uh, you know, or short of a of a war, a global war, you, you know, if if Israel were to bomb Iran sometime mm-hmm. in the next 90 days, which I think is possible, um, mm-hmm. then I, you know the stock market's going to drop quite a lot just because of mm-hmm. the fear of repercussions. So yeah. it's sort of geopolitical events, probably more than debt, the petrodollar, all those kinds of things that that analysts talk about. I, I do think that there are too many alarmist uh, Christian. You know, mm-hmm. folks that are eschatology interested students, and they they like to talk about the collapse of the dollar, and they've been predicting mm-hmm. the collapse of the dollar literally for years, and mm-hmm. the dollar will collapse someday, uh, utterly, but mm-hmm. it will probably be along with a an utter collapse of the United States economy uh, mm-hmm. from some type of major catastro- uh, catastrophe or war. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that's my prediction. So you're saying that the catastrophe that will strike America is probably more apparent and more um, do, do, uh, going to come, more predictable uh, right. than actually the dollar. The dollar will follow the catastrophe, mm-hmm. is kind of what you're saying. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and, and, and the thing is, you also have got to keep in mind, is that the, the United States has followed a pattern for many years. Um, whether we're talking about the 1991 uh, Gulf War, uh, what the Army calls Sandbox One, or the mm-hmm. uh, the war in Iraq, what the Army calls Sandbox Two, uh, which was in like 2000, what was it, 2002, 2001, 2002, 
And yeah. so, you know, all of those, ultimately, you look at those and you can understand that they have their economics uh, driven more than anything. They have right. to do with protecting the petrodollar as the currency to purchase oil, which was worked out by Nixon and the Saudis back in the 1970s when we went off mm-hmm. the gold standard. And, mm-hmm. and so economics, there there is a working knowledge of economics that, that any student of prophecy needs to have. But I'm afraid that there are too many... Uh, yeah. alarmists out there that that try to say, hey, we're gonna, we're all gonna, you know, have a collapse of the dollar, and you need to buy my gold. I'm, a, I'm an <laughs> agent. I'm a broker. I can sell you gold, and you need to yeah. buy gold. Yeah, you know, and I think because people do most that. Most of they... us can't afford it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. And you can't eat yeah. it either, so it's probably not no. going to be that helpful in the end. That's, but yeah, you're it, absolutely it's, it's right. Mm-hmm. I think everything mm-hmm. is woven together with the God of Mammon and economics and um, yeah. uh, the world economies, and it's all we're all so in, entrenched already. There is a global uh, mm-hmm. interdependency or codependency or yep. whatever you want to call it that yep. already exists, and so right. whatever affects one is going to affect the other. But I think the key players are still um, Israel, of course, and its enemies and, yeah. and those that surround it. But let's let's yes. look at America a little bit, and you have a fascinating subject um, that you've been pursuing with Russia, uh, Russia attacking mm-hmm. um, the United States, Israel, Gog, Magog, and um, so can you give us a little bit of background on um, mm-hmm. why would Russia? I mean, we've always talked. You know, I remember Khrushchev hitting his fist or, ta- or shoe on the table or whatever, and we will bury you. <laughs> um, You're dating and, yourself. I remember it too. <laughs> yeah. Well, and 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 we kind of got a little bit scared by about then, but then I think we snapped back into our arrogance and and don't tread on me and we'll be, you know, take you out. But but what what is his what is Russia doing right now? What are they poising and positioning yeah. themselves? It's like Russia's the bear, they've kind of been hibernating. What are they doing? Is it springtime? Right. Are they waking up? Tell me. Yeah, yeah, oh, I think they are. Um, you know, certainly the, the 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 answer to the question it could be a pretty long one. Uh, Go for it. Let me see how I can do to yeah. I'm going to see how I can do to sort of summarize things. You know, the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991. Uh, mm-hmm. During that collapse, the KGB, the Russian um, you know secret police intelligence agency, and all that, the, the, they really did not like Gorbachev, Mikhail Gorbachev. They felt like he was too progressive. He was trying to radically change Russia move it more mm-hmm. towards a capitalistic kind of, of state as opposed to purely centrally controlled, centrally planned state. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, they were probably instrumental in helping to foment what was what became known as the breakdown or the fall of the Soviet Union. You know, after that, you had uh, eventually you had a guy named Boris Yeltsin that came into power. And um, and he created, in effect, what we could call state-run capitalism, which essentially means that that there is a profit motive. There are individuals that are business people that are allowed to to have monopolies, and they had monopolies on you know travel, on oil and gas, on just about any major mm-hmm. commodity. And so mm-hmm. Yeltsin basically identified individuals. They called them the oligarchs, which meant mm-hmm. you know oligarchy is sort of a you know many person uh, run the state by committee kind of thing. In this mm-hmm. case, Yeltsin was, you know, the undisputed leader when he was sober, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, but he had his buddies, and they were oligarchs. Eventually, that broke down in around uh, around the year 2000, 
and this fairly unknown guy that had had been in St. Petersburg, had been in the KGB, uh, a guy named Vladimir Putin, um, frankly, due to some a false flag thing that was going on in, um, uh, oh gosh, I want to say, I'm trying to Chechnya, Chechnya, that's it. You know, some of these mm-hmm. words, uh, boy, it takes a while for me to remember how to pronounce them. Chechnya, um, probably a false flag operation, helped get Putin elected because he was a sort of a strongman guy. So you've mm-hmm. had, really since around 2000, 2001, you've had Putin uh, replacing the oligarchs with his buddies from St. Petersburg. Mm-hmm. And there is a fabulous documentary by Frontline, which is a PBS, kind of a 60 Minutes type uh, mm-hmm. uh, documentary service. They do various shows. They have a show that's available for free now. You can find it on the Internet. Just type in Putin's Way, uh, Putin's mm-hmm. Way, W-A-Y, and it's about a 53-minute documentary that really explains what's what we could call as a kleptocracy, which what that means is it's really a state that's run by criminals. It's run mm-hmm. by robbers. And essentially, what now did you've you got a, a clep, like a kleptomaniac. You know, kleptomaniac oh, yeah, I got you. Okay, thing. gotcha. Yeah, got a kleptocracy is what it's really called. There's a book I just started reading uh, called uh, Who Owns Russia? And mm. uh, I forget the author's name, but she's actually interviewed in this documentary, Putin's Way. And um, uh, so you've got uh, what you've got kind of going on is you've really got a lot of, of these oligarchs that are friends of Putin. And they can, as long as they're loyal to Putin, they can run things in Russia. And then the, the the kind of the cover story is that Putin wants to make Russia powerful again. He wants mm-hmm. it to be an empire. He really is like a czar. And he has many elements that are like a Stalin. Now, there's a lot of evangelicals in the United States. This is kind of an interesting sort of backstory. There's a lot of evangelicals in the United States that think Putin's kind of cool because he's a strong guy and, they don't like President Obama because Obama seems like he's waffling around, doesn't really have a policy. And if he has a policy, it seems to be to the detriment of the sovereignty of the United States. I happen mm-hmm. to be in that group that thinks that, uh, by the way. But uh, people sort of like him because they like Putin because he's you know, the strong guy, beats his chest, doesn't wear a shirt, you know, rides animals, all that kind of stuff. So he's a man's man. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so Putin is, um, you know, is, is responsible for bringing the Soviet, you know, sort of the memory of the Soviet Union back, the empire. And mm-hmm. uh, kind of like Constantine in the in the 4th century, where he embraced Christianity as a means to unify the Roman okay. Empire, which was, which was sort of breaking apart, uh, Putin has endorsed the Russian Orthodox, which is the Russian version of the Greek Orthodox Church, um, known as the Catholic Church East, as opposed to the Catholic Church West, which is in Rome. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so Putin has sort of said, well, you know, I'm a Christian. And Putin's actually, Putin's actually kind of looked like he's the savior of Christianity because he, he essentially challenges mm-hmm. those policies uh, of globalism, the New World mm-hmm. Order. He doesn't want anything to do with the New World Order. He sees the United States and Europe as embracing globalism, his yeah. concern, his interest is, I always want to make Russia the Russian empire of the czars once again. Right. And uh, and so, you know, so that's really where he's coming from. So now it leads up to what's happening, what's precipitating the potential for war. Mm-hmm. And once we get, we once again, we kind of get into economics. 
And the the U.S. has done a number of things to put dramatic pressure on Russia in the last year and a half. In part, it was over the the annexation of the Crimea. The Crimea is this little peninsula that mm-hmm. hangs off the bottom of the Ukraine and is situated in the Black Sea. And this is Russia's year-round warm water port, and it's uh, it's a you know the the naval base is at Sevastopol or Sevastopol, um, mm-hmm. and it has been a Russian military or naval base since the time of Catherine the Great. So it goes back 250 years, and this mm-hmm. has been a uh, an area of great battles and conflicts. Uh, the question of whether or not Crimea would in fact be the um, could be a Russian base caused the Crimean War in 1853 through 1856, and it essentially was Russia versus Britain, France, Sardinia, and who else am I leaving out? Oh, the Ottoman Empire, Turkey. It was in its kind of twilight. And the Crimean mm-hmm. War was a, was a hugely important war. It paved the way for the modern world for World War I and World War II. Mm-hmm. So you had a lot of structuring going on as a result. It wasn't just the war that, that Florence Nightingale became famous for, which mm-hmm. she did. It was the war of the charge of the Light Brigade, Alfred Moore mm-hmm. Tennyson's poem. But it was a vital war because it was really the first modern war, and it set the stage and structured things in Europe and Eastern Europe uh, and what's known as the Balkans, the Bulgaria, mm-hmm. Hungary, Romania, that whole area. It structured things in such a way that it would lead to World War One, and, really? uh, and so Crimea has been, yeah, Crimea has been at the center of all of the world wars, and it is likely to be once again at the center of World War Three, or at least I would say really the fuse that lights mm-hmm. it. Uh, it's likely to be that fuse, and so the world has been really focused on the Ukraine. Uh, Russia annexed Ukraine because uh, the Ukrainians. From Russia's perspective, we're getting very close to joining NATO, and mm-hmm. uh, you know there's a lot of more history I could go into, but yeah. the, the short, long, and the short of it is that it was strategic. Russia could not allow Crimea yeah. to fall into the hands of NATO because it would lose its yeah. its uh, its only warm water port uh, mm-hmm. that gives it access to Europe because from from Sevastopol. You can go from the Black Sea into the Aegean Sea and then into the Mediterranean, and uh, and so it's strategically very, very, very important. And uh, so, so now, so that's that's been kind of the the military geopolitical trigger. The U.S. responded by uh, sanctions, uh, and the sanctions unusually, uh, this is very unusual, were targeted specifically at these oligarchs, at these friends of Putin who were really just running, they were out of control. They've been out of control, mm-hmm. uh, basically, you know, with corruption. Um, for instance, a good example is like the president of Ikea. Uh, you know, we think of Ikea, the low-cost Swedish, yeah, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. uh, furniture store. The yeah. the president of, of Ikea was really struggling to make a profit in Russia because of corruption, and he wanted to meet with Putin to see if something could be done. And the guy that is sort of the gatekeeper for Putin said, sure, you can meet with uh, with Putin. It'll cost you 5 to $10 million to hold a oh meeting my. with Putin. 
but we can mm-hmm. set that up for you. And so, you know, basically, IKEA, IKEA had to sort of walk away from Russia. And so, mm-hmm. that, and that's, you know, these are all fairly recent things that have happened just in the last couple of years. But that's the kind of corruption that's going on. So if, if uh, listeners out there, you know, they hear evangelicals talking about, isn't it great, you know, Putin's such a, such a great guy. Putin is a crook. He has become, <laughs> even in 2007, the, the CIA said, at that time, Putin had amassed over $40 billion in net worth, which already, like in 2007, would make him one of the ten richest men in the world. And mm. you can only imagine his real net worth today is probably $60, $70 billion. So the real richest man in the world is not a personal acquaintance of mine, a guy named Bill Gates, but it could be Vladimir Putin, and it's all ill-gotten gains, if you will. So, um, so... Uh, the U.S. has done not just sanctions, but it's very likely that the U.S. and Saudi Arabia um, work together to uh, drop the price of oil. And this is a real mystery. It's it's oh, not clear okay. whether Saudi Arabia was was really upset with the U.S. because of uh, the U.S. creating, in effect, the Arab Spring and and Obama's administration trying to topple the you know the powers in Libya and in Egypt. And eventually in Saudi Arabia, you know, it, it seemed as if the United States was behind all of the revolutions that were going on in the Middle East. Uh, mm-hmm. The Arab Spring began in 2011. Uh, the Russians, that is, their, that is their view, and it'll be the geopolitical basis upon which they will eventually attack the U.S., in my mm-hmm. view. It's because they're going to say, well, the U.S. has actually surrounded us with military bases, which is true. The U.S. has a 1,000 military bases around the world, probably a few less now since we've we've uh, gotten mostly out of Iraq and mostly out of Afghanistan. So we're probably down to 800 bases, but we're certainly mm-hmm. surrounded Russia with those. The U.S., um, you know, so the Russians say, hey, the U.S., they use these things called color revolutions, and they're surrounding us. They're getting people to buy U.S. weapons. The military-industrial complex is is just running wild right now. So all of our enemies are buying these weapons. And in effect, the Russians are saying the U.S. is out to destroy us, and we mm-hmm. are going to have to respond. And so, you so got Russia the, is seeing is becoming mm-hmm. uh, convinced that the U.S. because of the bases, because of the weapons, because of our toppling other uh, you know nations and things. Secretly, right. we are becoming their visible obvious enemy again. Yeah, that's right. They're seeing us as the aggressor nation, and they're saying this to their people. Their uh, documentary programs, the media is not free in Russia anymore. It was for a few years, but it's mm-hmm. now very much a state-controlled media. It's a media mm-hmm. that reinforces uh, the messages of Vladimir Putin is preparing his people for war. He is getting them uh, mentally ready for the concept that they are going to have to go to war against the United States because the United States is quietly, secretly subverting anything that Russia is trying to do. And, uh, and, and Ukraine is a prime example. They believe that the U.S. with uh, – there were sort of the tell of two victors. There was a guy named uh, Viktor Yushchenko. Uh, who was Ukrainian president from sort of 2004 to about 2010. And then there was Viktor Yanukovych. And these two victors, Viktor uh, Yashinko was very less, uh, West-leaning. He was in support of NATO, going with NATO. 
uh, Yanukovych uh, was eventually elected. He had lost the election to Yashinko in 2004, but in 2010, he won the election, and he was more eastward-leaning, and he was more in, in really wanting to associate more with Russia, believing that Russia was the natural ally of Ukraine, not, the, not NATO. And that did not sit well with most Ukrainians because the Ukrainians remember that the mm-hmm. Russians back in the 1920s and 1930s starved to death 7 million Ukrainians. Mm-hmm. Um, it was part mm-hmm. of Stalin's policy to starve the Ukrainians to death and take over the very rich agricultural land and repopulate it with Russian-speaking uh, with Russians, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you had, and that's a big part of the story, the eastern one-third of Ukraine is Russian-speaking. The western two-thirds uh, is uh, speaks native Ukrainian, and, and that's how they vote. So, mm. uh, But it, it was split, the vote was split enough that uh, Yanukovych was able to win. He was leaning towards Moscow. Uh, there was then another revolution that occurred in 2014, um, and this revolution led to the the fleeing of Yanukovych. He fled back to Moscow uh, to uh, you know sort of uh, be protected by Moscow, and the westward leaning Ukrainians uh, took control again. Uh, mm. This was like in February of 2014. Now, since that time, there's been nothing but really a civil war going on between the Russian-speaking Eastern Ukrainians oh, and the Western-speaking Native Ukrainians. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so this war has been going on, and that was what led Putin to the saying, hey, I've got to make sure I have control of Crimea. And he had control of Crimea as long as he could control that eastern one-third of, of Ukraine, known as the Donbass, D-O-N-B-A-S-S, the Donbass region. As long as he was controlling that, he'd have access to Crimea, he would have his naval base, and things would be okay. Sure. All right, mm-hmm. so so that's that's been going on. But you know, and then more recently, the, the economic another economic factor is the is the crumbling of the ruble. The ruble mm-hmm. has lost fifty uh, percent of its value. Uh, essentially, here the way it would be is a year ago last summer, um, if you wanted to buy, let's say you wanted to buy an American car. This is an example just to talk mm-hmm. about the value of the uh, uh, of the ruble against the dollar. If you wanted to buy, if you're in Moscow and you wanted to buy an American car that cost $25,000 last summer, this summer it would cost about fifty-five dollars to $60,000 because the ruble. the ruble has lost so much value against the U.S. Mm-hmm. dollar. The U.S. dollar is, is, and this is, of course, another argument for why the U.S. isn't really going to collapse. The U.S. dollar is, is the strongest, well, it's not going to collapse now. It's the strongest currency in the world. You still have people flocking to hold U.S. dollars, they're still paying, you know, le- about two percent to buy ten-year uh, tre- U.S. Treasuries or thirty-year U.S. Treasuries. They're paying about two point four percent. So people are trying to lock in better interest rates to protect their money around the world. And U.S. Treasuries are still the primary hedge or protection against losing your money. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so they're know, counting the US on the U.S. to be strong then. Yes, because correct. They're That's not correct. looking for it to collapse like some That's, people in the United States correct. are actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the reason the U.S. stock market has really fallen about 10% is primarily because of our interconnections with China. 
the Chinese stock market has fallen, oh, 50, 60% in value over the last two months. And right, that's right. what's really precipitated uh, because of the housing. They had like a, a, a real estate uh, boom that was going mm-hmm. on. It was a true bubble. They were building, oh literally building cities. No, far worse. Far mm-hmm. worse. They were building entire cities that no one lives in. They were um, you know, building real estate. House prices were skyrocketing. You essentially had in China, you had a uh, a growing middle class that were experiencing a uh, considerable amount of wealth creation because of uh, the fact that the government had become more liberal and was allowing, even though it's centrally controlled, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of cities like Shanghai and others that are very modern. They're very capitalist. And so you had a tremendous amount of wealth creation, and you had a, a dramatic growth in GDP, China's GDP almost mm-hmm. equaling the U.S. GDP in this last uh, quarter, if I'm not mistaken. And so, so then, why didn't they uh, populate but, the cities? Why didn't they take them? Why didn't they? <laughs> well, they couldn't couldn't get the they couldn't get the people there because the people couldn't afford the real estate, and they weren't just going to move them into the into the cities, uh, sort of taking them out of out of uh, the Their rural job. areas because they had no, they would have no means to get them fed. They would then they would become complete wards of the state, and mm-hmm. uh, so anyway, so it created a, a real estate bubble. And that bubble, just like our credit default swap and, and mm-hmm. uh, leveraged assets and all that that caused our bubble to break in 2008, that just happened in China. And it had a ripple mm-hmm. effect across the world. And then China decided to devalue the yuan. Uh, their currency is the yuan, U, uh, spelled Y-U-A-N in English. And they decided to, de, uh, to um, devalue it a few percent. That impacted the dollar, and I don't, I don't fully understand all these things. Uh, I, yeah. I know a lot of people are smarter than me to explain these financial issues, but uh, but I know enough to know that the, that the currencies are interconnected. The fact that the yuan was devalued um, it had a, a bad effect on the U.S. dollar. So, um, all right. So, having said all that, the U.S. is putting massive economic pressure on on uh, Russia. Russia, because the prices of oil, of oil is half or less. I don't know about you, but I'm spending like a dollar eighty-five a gallon now yeah. here oh, in wow. Oklahoma. You know, yeah. and so the price of gas is half what it was. Russia makes over fifty percent of its revenue, and it, you know, it, it's it, they go into its federal coffers from the sale of oil and natural mm-hmm. gas. Mm-hmm. And and a good chunk of its revenue is also from the sale of its weapon systems, which is something else we could talk about in a minute. But anyway, so you've got essentially imagine if the U.S. budget, say U.S. you know budget, which I think is around three um, trillion, is it three three trillion dollars a year, something like that. Um, you know, and it's of course we we overspend about um, a trillion. <laughs> you yeah. sort of add a trillion here, add a trillion there. Pretty soon it's serious money. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but anyway, you know, we we of course are debt financing, but um, mm-hmm. the um, so what was I going to say then about uh, uh, well, okay, I was going to say imagine, yeah, imagine mm-hmm. that all of a sudden half of the revenue that that mm-hmm. would normally go to the federal government, half of that revenue is gone. So instead mm-hmm. of let's say bringing in three uh, three trillion dollars into the into the coffin. Or into the coffers of the treasury. Imagine that it's now only 1.5. You know how yeah. would that impact the government? Well, hugely. You know, you'd be talking. Uh, our government just would say, "Well, we'll print more money." You know, yeah. 
We'll just but, pretend it didn't happen. But it, but but yeah, it, it would cause us to have vast you know impacts upon every program, from military, social security. I mean, you'd have mm-hmm. everyone's social security being cut in half, you know, um, military spending cut in half, and so forth. And so that's essentially what is happening in Russia. So imagine that you're a consumer in Russia right now that you are finding that uh, that the value of your currency has gone down dramatically. Your savings uh, in terms of buying power have gone down dramatically. The government can no longer afford to buy the kinds of weapon systems that it wanted to buy. And that government, the best weapons and the most powerful weapons it has are nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the situation. Russia is under tremendous economic pressure. They have good nuclear weapons. Those nuclear weapons are as good as ours in -hmm. most cases, and they have a much, much better anti-ballistic missile system, meaning that they have done far more with Mm -hmm. ABMs, which are the missiles that shoot down the incoming offensive uh, Mm -hmm. systems. So they're, they're a defensive weapon. They have much better... Uh, uh, defensive weapons than we do. So, in effect, if they launched a first strike against the United mm-hmm. States and we tried to strike back, which I'll talk about why that's even difficult to do, but if we tried to strike back, the chances are really good that they would be able to intercept and knock down most of our retaliatory missiles that would go against them. Mm-hmm. So, well, if they launched Latin, the first yeah, strike with the nuclear weapons, right. there wouldn't be much left of us, would there? Well, of course, the the issue is um, would they would the strikes be predominantly against our land-based missiles, which are in silos, typically out in cornfields, you know, out in the, the Midwest. You probably got a couple out there in, in Minnesota somewhere, but more <laughs> of them in North Dakota and South Dakota and Nebraska and Kansas and so forth. You know, so these prairies have a lot of these land-based silos. However, that's not really where our our best weapons are anymore. Many of those mm-hmm. silos are empty. They've been shut down. Most of our best weapon systems are in the submarines uh, that are all over the world, and uh, that's what we're really relying upon are our nuclear subs, and then we're relying upon our aircraft carrier groups. Uh, Russia has one aircraft carrier, and it has to have a tugboat that comes with it case it breaks oh. down because it's oh. that that bad um mm-hmm. but russia's subs are quite good and um and russia does have excellent uh icbms and the continental ballistic missiles and so if russia you know russia could not attack the united states obviously with land-based um tanks and right. um soldiers i mean yeah there's this problem yeah. called Pacific Ocean and the Atlantic Ocean it really gets in <laughs> yeah. the way. Yeah, yeah right. It slows it down <laughs> yeah, a little bit. It's, yeah, it's real slow to even get all that stuff amassed put together. But but Russia can can literally take out America's major cities all across the country in one hour. In one hour, um, Clinton signed a presidential order back in the late nineties, essentially saying that we would absorb a first strike before we would launch our missiles because we did not want to uh, send the world into a nuclear war by a mistake being made. Uh-huh. Uh, so, Well, you think, you know, you, right? you think so, it's a mistake if you yeah. take out the major cities of the, Earth, of the United States. Is that 
an accident? Is that an oops? Is that a, or is that intentional? Yeah, right. Yeah. I, well, we it, don't want to make exactly mistake and it. consider that you just killed a billion of our people, you know, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, this that's is just right. a little it, accident. Right. Sorry, we we pushed the wrong button here, guys. Sorry. Yeah, we, yeah, we took out oh, 20 of your Oh, let's not start the war. Too. You're dead now, so. Yeah, so yeah. sorry about that. So, so right, that, so, that bill is still on the books, that first yeah, uh, absorbing that's, the first that's still the policy. That's still the policy. Now, you move into this administration. This administration considers Russia a regional power. So we're very arrogant. Uh, we are very likely doing what the Russians say we're doing to a great extent. We mm-hmm. are certainly wanting the Ukraine to join NATO. Uh, the new uh, Ukrainian president is a guy named Petro Poroshenko, and he's very Western-leaning. In fact, they already signed the papers to be part of, of, the, of NATO, of the partnering program, and they are planning to become a full-fledged member of NATO. That's so Ukraine? That would, Ukraine's new yeah, president? Yeah, that's Ukraine. Yeah, Kiev is their capital. Kiev is pretty much in north-central Ukraine, and um, and all of the civil war is being fought predominantly now just in the eastern uh, region. Uh, there's a city called Donetska, and it's in the Donbass region. And this is mm-hmm. just, it's really the, the part of the Ukraine that connects Russia to Crimea. And so mm-hmm. it's, again, why that little corridor is so strategically important. Mm-hmm. And uh, And so now, here's, all right, so all this is to say, well, now what else is going on in Europe? Well, what else is going on in Europe is really pretty interesting. Um, mm. You've got you've got Eastern European nations, such as the Baltics, which is Lithuania, Estonia, Latvia. Then you've got that's the Baltics. Then you've got the Balkans, and the Balkans are Hungary, uh, Romania, Bulgaria, and and then you've got kind of in the center part you've got uh, Poland. Uh, which is which is part of NATO. You've got uh, Belarus, which really is a Russian satellite. These are sort of sitting right adjacent to each other. And then you have Germany. And so understanding geography is really, really important as you look mm-hmm. at these global wars and why they were fought. Um, the, the Poles, the Balkan states, the Baltic states, all these the border Russia, they see Russia as a predator. And they, mm-hmm. they have a history there that would cause them to think that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that the right, Soviet exactly. Union, of course, couldn't you know, manage, their, manage their affairs for 70 years or more. And they really don't want to be under Russian control or domination. They'd like to have trading relationships. They're really happy to have oil and gas from Russia. But they really mm-hmm. don't want Russians um, running their capitals, their governments, and calling the shots. So they're very fearful. The, okay. This group of nations also does not believe that mm-hmm. Germany really cares much, that France cares much, that the UK cares much. They don't really, they're not really that happy with Western Ukraine, the people that run the Western Ukrainian government, because most of, of those people consider the Western Ukraines fascist sort of sons of the Nazis, and, mm-hmm. and the Western Ukrainians were uh, fascist-leaning and Nazi-leaning. And so you've got a very unenthusiastic Eastern European um, block about defending the Ukraine. And so what it's led to is there's no trust. Eastern Europe doesn't trust Western Europe to defend it. They don't really 
get that excited about the Ukraine or care that much. Um, the U.S. therefore becomes the defender of Eastern European nations, and we have to push, beg, holler, scream, jump up and down to try to get Europe to defend itself against Russia. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. The, the, the Europeans are very ambivalent about this whole situation. They, we can't get them to commit their 2% of their nation's GDP to spend for military defense. And so, you've, so you essentially you've got the, um, all of Europe um, will not, you know, they will not participate in NATO because to a great extent they all kind of felt like, well, you know, the reason that we had NATO was to defend, ourselves, defend ourselves against the, the Soviet Union, and the Soviet Union went away in 1991. Sure. That's right. We were tra- we've been pretty good trading partners with Russia. Mm-hmm. And, they and think we, they're okay. You know, we, mm-hmm. we get our oil and gas from them, and so why is it that we're, we're wanting to go to war here over the situation? You know, why is it? And, um, and, and, and it gets, ultimately gets back to the question of economics, and who is controlling the world. The, and this is where we get now into more conspiracy theory. The United States, I argue in my books, uh, certainly in the book The Final Babylon, that the United States is the muscle for the New World Order. The New World mm-hmm. Order is is the, um, you could say it's the sort of the secret cabal of world leaders, the Committee of 300, the Bilderberg Group, um, but the long and the short of it is is there are powerful people in high places that mm-hmm. control things, and they want to implement the new world order. They want a global government. This was what uh, George H.W. Bush talked about in his 9-11 speech uh, 11 yeah. years to the day before uh, 9-1-1. It's either 10 years or 11 years. Uh, he talked about his New World Order speech. He was essentially saying with the fall of the Soviet Union, we have a chance to implement a New World Order. And, of course, mm-hmm. George, the uh, you know, Bush 43 versus Bush 45. Bush 43, very strong, committed Mason, and he really was pushing towards let's get a single you know, currency, let's have everybody participate. George W. Bush... Uh, even as early, you know, as early in his uh, presidency, I think it was in 2003. You know, he said, "I've looked into the eyes of of mm-hmm. Vladimir Putin, and I saw his soul, and and I think he is a good man and someone we can work with." Mm-hmm. And uh, but it became within about five years, it became clear, even though Putin had already been uh, implementing a state ca- uh, capitalism state form of capitalism, really, uh, as I call it at the beginning, a kleptocracy, that mm-hmm. um, Putin was doing that even at that time. But Bush was so hopeful that we could move towards the new world order that... With, with Russia included. To, yeah, with Russia included, that he was, you know, that's really what we wanted to do. That's why the U.S. has been so pro-China and uh, trying to get China to be a part of the new world order. Why is mm-hmm. it that China has spent so much of its uh, assets, basically, buying U.S. treasuries? They own more U.S. treasuries than any other nation in the world. It's because we're trying to lock them in 
to a a single world system so that you know we would we would love it if Russia had as many treasuries as China did because why would you want to blow up a country that, that you, you have such a yeah that yeah. you own that you have such a stake mm-hmm. in and mm-hmm. and that's really been the strategy for the new world order is we want to interlock all of these uh, banks and countries, uh, and we want to make them globally all work together so that we can implement our new world order. We can have a common currency. We can eventually get to a single government and a one a and a, and an antichrist and a, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, we will become mm-hmm. the antichrist. All that, yeah. And so that's really been the geopolitical, economic situation, and and mm-hmm. Putin has really become a fly in the ointment. He's not cooperating. He's not cooperating. He's not wanting to see the New World Order happen. Uh, he wants to go back to the old Russian Empire. Consequently, he has been vilified, and I argue probably for, for good reasons. Um, but the American media has, uh, has attacked Putin significantly, perhaps justifiably. But mm-hmm. it, is, uh, it is because uh, he's not playing ball. And he's mm-hmm. not going along, and um, and so the U.S. Uh, ever since Woodrow Wilson and the League of Nations and then the Rockefellers, uh, you know, it's really interesting. Even FDR talked about a new world order. Um, the League of Nations was yeah. was all part of this. America yeah. has been at the heart of trying to drive towards the new world order, and it's really been a, a right. linkage between the United States and Britain predominantly, that has tried to drive this. Um, Japan, Japan plays along since after World War II um, with MacArthur, you know, basically the, the program, the Marshall Plan of Japan, more or less, uh, rebuilt Japan. Japan has been a lackey for the, for the United States, and the Trilateral Commission included Europe, um, America, and Japan. Japan's been very dominated by American leadership, uh, since World War II, and for all intents and purposes, they are a Western nation. They mm-hmm. do pretty much what the United States wants them to do, and uh, and they are the second leading owner of U.S. Treasuries. There's a, there's one of the proof points. Uh, mm-hmm. China is first, Japan is two, and uh, and so uh, you, so you've got this. You've got basically a one world government trying to happen, but Russia is blocking it. And mm. Russia now is feeling great pressure because of the economic sanctions, the price of oil, the crumbling of the ruble. And mm-hmm. then you've got the, the real wild card here is what happens in two years when there's a new American president. What will that new American president do and say? What will he or she, as I mm-hmm. tend to predict, that Hillary still is my favorite to win the presidency? Um, Although you... <laughs> Can you clarify? Um, yeah, well, I, 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 yeah, I have my own predictions about what would happen later if that occurs. But assuming for a moment that you know that that there, um, that there's going to be someone in the White House, even mm-hmm. Hillary is more moderate than our current administration. Our current administration is very progressive. Um, mm-hmm. you know, many call it the sort of Saul Alinsky. Alinskyites, the you know we don't really realize that a what it meant to be a community organizer <laughs> was a, a, a someone that was in the community to disrupt 
mm-hmm. it wasn't really organizing. It was trying to disrupt and to create, um, Chaos. you know, foment discontent. That mm-hmm. really was what Obama was doing in Chicago uh, mm-hmm. as a community, quote unquote, community organizer. And yeah. um, and now he leads so, the nation. Now he leads the nation, and well, uh, but he's made such progress on all these goals that the nation is um, about where the progressives really want it to be. And mm-hmm. uh, we just need to get a few more refugees from Europe to come in, uh, let a few more people from ISIS sneak in, and mm-hmm. uh, and then the, you know America will be primed and ready for its own uh, form of anarchy. <laughs> so that right. that is where our so, president is taking it. So is he okay? So I'm a, okay. So question number one: After you've said all this wonderful geograph, you know, history, geography. Thank you, thank you. Um, is great. I'm not downplaying. It's awesome. But why would right. America want to be the um, the uh, the promoters, the forerunners, the uh, proponents for a new world order, a global world? What's in it for us? Well, I think that there's um, there certainly is, uh, you know, they used to talk about the Pax Romana, you know, the Roman peace that mm-hmm. allowed uh, civilization to really flourish back 2,000 years ago. It sort of mm-hmm. is a Pax Americana, which is that we really want the world to be at peace. We want uh, capitalism to flourish. Um, mm-hmm. we, we would prefer for there to be basically – democratic, although not truly, purely democratic, more sort of semi-fascist democratic kinds of governments that support um, typical American economic capitalism. We still, our bankers Mm -hmm. want to be at the helm. They want to drive that process. They want to control that process. The Federal Reserve in the U.S. is the U.S. Central Bank. But you have a central bank in Europe. You have the city of London in uh, mm-hmm. in downtown London. City of London is the equivalent of Wall Street. Um, so the power brokers still want to be the power brokers, and so there there is a desire to keep the world at peace, so that mm-hmm. economies can flourish, the rich can get richer, and so on. Mm-hmm. And this goes back, right. you know, even to let's say H.G. Wells. Uh, Marxist-Leninist doctrine and all of that. It's it's a mm-hmm. uh, a way a social order that on the surface appears to be democratic, but really you yeah. have a uh, an elite that are managing the affairs of the whole world. And so right. the U.S. has been at the center of that. Part of the answer to your question is a spiritual answer. Right. Um, it is, I think, uh, satanically inspired mm-hmm. uh, and has been for the history mm-hmm. of mankind going all the way back to Babylon is that, you know, the, there's a desire to control the world and to bring the world under the control of the evil one. And there mm-hmm. are elites that do his bidding. And this mm-hmm. is ultimately what's behind it all is, uh, is right. that kind of a conspiracy. Well, I think there's a coming together of so many different projects and forces and plans within plans that Satan is, we- you know, it's a web and we're all caught in it. It's interesting that you mentioned that uh, America. What's what? Why are we doing this? The New World Order are you know what we present to be our reasons are for democracy, mm-hmm. for peace, for capitalism. But at the same time, right. and for the flourishing of those things. But at the same time, as we're promoting that in in verb in verbiage and economic policies, blah blah blah, we're taking away these very freedoms from our individual people. 
you know, the right. banking systems, right. uh, the uh, the freedoms, the, the, the um, well, terroristic privacy. privacy. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. uh, there's no privacy. There's no safety. There's no security. It's all, uh, you know, um, it's, uh, you know, just too much any- freedom. Too much freedom is not what the New World Order wants. The New World Order right. wants us to be sheeple, you know, yeah. to to be able to be yeah. manageable, mm-hmm. to not be revolutionary, and mm-hmm. uh, and of course that gets into the whole mind control thing, and and but the, the the desire is to keep the population productive but under control, right. and so that they can uh, you know, produce some, for the yeah. aristocracies yeah, of the that, world. That's right. That's right. But I but don't so, you believe that the aristocracies of rich families that are ruling the world are actually pawns in the hand of Satan who's really intending to gather yes. it all together in his... Yeah, no, I think that's group. that's right. I think the kings of the earth, there's always have been kings of the earth, and there mm-hmm. have been powers and principalities, mm-hmm. you know, using a biblical worldview, uh, which I hold to, there are powers and principalities mm-hmm. that are behind the scenes, <clears throat> that they're really the puppet masters, and the yeah. world leaders are either unwittingly or wittingly being led by these powers and forces. And that really, I'll have an article coming out in Prophecy Watchers magazine uh, here in the month of October talking about Gog and Magog, uh, the Ezekiel 38-39 war. And um, and my my title is meant to be a little uh, provocative. And the title is, Is Gog Just a Turk? And uh, because a lot of, <laughs> of uh, prophecy students today, I think of Joel um, Richardson primarily, who argues that the Antichrist will be uh, a Muslim and that Islam is the is the religion of the Antichrist and so forth. And, and he could be right. I don't mm-hmm. believe he is right. Um, I, I believe that you know the Antichrist will will have more of a state religion in which the Antichrist must be worshipped and um, not will not be Allah. Yeah, I believe right, the Gog exactly. and Magog War of Ezekiel will will destroy the principal parties that, including Turkey and Iran, um, mm-hmm. will be devastated by the judgment that comes upon all of the armies, including, I believe, Russia, um, as a result of the Gog and Magog War that's described in Ezekiel 38 and 39. I okay. talk about that in the new book and uh, the article. I, I got a question. I got yeah, a question about Gog and Magog, the war. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's on the questions that we were discussing ahead of time. Um, yeah. Is the Gog and Magog talked about in Revelations 20 that shows up again in the uh, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ? Is that the war right. we're looking for, or are there two wars? Is there one yeah, that's going to come? Right. Con- conventional answer is that there are two separate wars, and I believe that's true. Um, I believe there is a Gog and Magog war that transpires mm-hmm. pretty much right at the beginning, just at the beginning, at, or just just after the a covenant is made between, or a covenant is confirmed that probably mm-hmm. already exists. Could right. well be the Oslo, Oslo Accords that were that Rich um, um, Yitzhak Rabin and uh, Yasser Arafat shook hands with Bill Clinton back in 1993. Um, that they uh, agreed in principle to the two-state solution, dividing the land and all that. 
<clears throat> which I think was probably the Treaty of Death and Hell talked about in Isaiah. I think that treaty will be confirmed again mm-hmm. by a world leader, very possibly an American, could be an English king. Um, we'll see. But mm-hmm. I think that is, is really either happens, I think it will happen as a result of this conflagration, a global war that will probably transpire in a matter of weeks between Russia and the United States and so, Israel. Well, stop, stop, stop. Matter of yeah. weeks. Now we're talking, this is the Ezekiel War, this is the Gog, Magog, Russia coming down, dissenting, right. sending their intercontinental continental ballistic missiles against us. Boom, boom, bang, bang, we're done, we're gone. And then they t- attack Israel as well, or they attack someone else yeah, as well? Yeah, in the process of, of attacking Israel, which is what the uh, the prophet talks about, that they come against Israel like a cloud to try to cover the land. And, and they don't come alone, Gog and Magog. Magog is, mm-hmm. a, is the Gog from the land of Magog. Magog is a land that extends between uh, the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, which is further east of the Black Sea. It extends into the heartland of Asia, which are what I call the stands, like Kurdistan and Kazakhstan and Turkestan and Pakistan and Afghanistan and all these stands. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's about one-sixth of the world. But that's, I believe, and it's mostly uh, Islamic, and mm-hmm. I believe it is you know, the, the armies of Gog and Magog uh, come together. They include Persia or Iran, uh, Put and Kush, which is probably Egypt, uh, Libya uh, could be, you know, all these northern African nations that are Islam. It appears to be an Islamic jihad against Israel. Um, okay, that was that will answer my question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. why would Russia yeah. go against Israel? But it's not just Russia; it's Russia and all the ones who hate Israel yeah. that are coming. Yeah, it, so it you're appears, saying that Russian yeah. and the Islamic nations are collaborating on this yeah. thing? Yeah, okay. Russian, Russia is one-sixth Islamic anyway, but okay. Russia is, of course, partners now. We've seen that in our day here just just this summer. We've seen just how much Russia has been partnering with Iran um, and, mm-hmm. and with Syria just in the last two weeks as we're doing this interview. Um, mm-hmm. Russia has been sending massive amounts of material to Syria to reinforce the reign of Bashar al-Assad, the Syrian dictator, who, of course, is, has killed probably 200,000 of his own citizens and has uh, used chemical um, weapons against them, very likely. Um, you know, this refugee problem that's happening in Europe right now, Germany says, oh, we'll take your, you know, we'll take your refugees. And so they're all moving across Europe. Well, a lot of them, of course, are coming from this troubled region of the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, But Russia is sending in more military. The U.S. has had a very lame response. Uh, the U.S. response literally in the last week has been, well, gee, uh, Russia, we really caution you against sending in more military uh, capability because that will just mm-hmm. destabilize an already unstable region. Well, <laughs> you know, the, it is mm-hmm. such an unstable region. The, the reality is that the U.S. has done virtually nothing uh, mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of things to try to stabilize the region since uh, the president elected to pull all the troops from uh, Iraq. You know, we, we mm-hmm. learned in Korea that you have to keep 40,000 troops in Korea to keep North Korea from attacking South Korea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, that's so real they've peace. Had, they've, had to, 
they've had to be there for almost 70 years. Well, that probably was going to have to be the policy that the U.S. would have to follow to keep mm-hmm. peace in the Middle East was to keep 40 or 50 or 60,000 troops stationed in uh, Iraq, and we pulled virtually all of them out. And so then, um, you know, ISIS emerged, and mm-hmm. now we have this massive problem with ISIS, the refugee problem and all that. And that's just adding more fuel to the fire. Right. And, um, and so that's that's what's been going on just in the last couple of weeks. But, yes, mm-hmm. the Gog-Magog war appears to be Russia stirring up and uh, leading a confederation of Islamic peoples uh, against mm-hmm. Israel. You know, one could easily envision it's being done in response to something that Israel has done, perhaps, Israel has attacked Iran uh, mm-hmm. in an attempt yeah. to uh, take out the Iranian technology. Gee, could that possibly happen? Could we could even conceive of that? Well, yeah. of course we could. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> if absolutely. you listen to Netanyahu, that seems to be exactly what's going to happen. So, um, so it's going to start. It's going to pull the trigger on the whole, uh, the whole ripcord on the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, the fuse. The fuse will be lit. Uh, mm-hmm. In my opinion, once Israel takes some action against Iran, the U.S. likely will stand by and do nothing. Um, it will yeah. let it, Israel on its own attack mm-hmm. Iran. Um, and then I could, we can then see potentially Russia mustering armies, uh, mm-hmm. gathering come support down and help to go against Syria Israel. Help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. help Syria, help Iran. Uh, mm-hmm. all of Islam to come against Israel from all sides. And then mm-hmm. this really is the, the the war that most prophecy uh, researchers, scholars, authors for over 150 years have been saying that is the war that commences the mm-hmm. final seven-year countdown to Christ's return. Um, and, and so it probably is the geopolitical action that happens that leads to the Antichrist coming on the scene and saying, well, we've seen Russia basically get destroyed. All of these uh, Arab nations, the Islamic nations, are out of our tremendous way. casualties. Yep, They've been out destroyed of by what's happened. And, oh, guess what? We haven't even talked about the fact, of course, that it's probably during the same time that the daughter of Babylon talked about in Jeremiah 50 and 51, Isaiah 47, Zechariah 2, Psalm 137, the daughter of Babylon is destroyed probably at the very same time. I mean, if I'm Russia and I'm going to go against Israel, i got to do something with the United States to keep them right. from wanting to counter So we are the daughter of Babylon, and, and I think that's yes, a really appropriate yes, way that God has argument. identified us. Mm-hmm. Yes, because I think we, we are we've... the daughter of Babylon. Right, yes. because Babylon is all the witchcraft, the idolatry, the rebellion, that has come against God and his people, his purposes, his his character forever and a day. And we've the, right. we've we were kind of an offspring of that same ideology. And and you know Correct. the thing is going back to that thinking about the rotten corruption, the the conflicts, the interweaving, the incredible, overwhelming there's no way to stop this. Then there's no way really seriously mm-hmm. to call America back to its roots because its roots are, are Dubious. They're both, you know, New Atlantis and 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 um, United States or America right. or, or democracy or whatever you want to call it. So I, I think that for yeah. Christians, the hope might be to focus on what's really important right now. And what's really important right. 
is the kingdom of God. And we know that is is this Gog and Magog war. Um, I got a question. So, okay, yeah. so Russia and the gang come down, attack the daughter of Babylon, which is us, and they also attack Israel. And then they finally... They attack the daughter of Babylon with missiles, with nuclear missiles. Probably. Yeah. That's what happens. Exactly. There's, so a, then, there's a different what, what, plan that they have, which which we, if we had time, we could talk about how they might start it. But I think it's very possible that because of time pressures, they will have to go ahead and go with a first strike of ICBMs against major American cities and uh, and trust that America will be so consumed with its own uh, mending itself, yeah, that that it's not in a position to be helpful in protecting Israel, and no, they select that same time to come against Israel. So what's God going to be doing in all of this? Is he going to defend Israel this time? Is he going to protect Israel yes. and, not, and not America? So is he, and That's he's the one who's correct. going to put the kibosh on Gog, Magog. And so basically uh, Russia attacks us. We're, you know, put out a commission, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. Then, right. then and Israel and God comes up and, and smashes Russia which then puts them out of the way, which allows the new world order to go forward with the Antichrist because he's right. now got America out of commission, he's got Russia out of commission, and he comes up from wherever he's coming up from to take right. over and bring peace to the world. And Israel is actually going to you know, believe that for like three and a half years. They're going to get to build their temple, whatever they're going to do. And then That's right, because, because yeah, let me interrupt and just to clarify. So you, essentially you have, according to Ezekiel 39, you know, the, the Lord will send fire uh, amongst the coastlands. He will destroy the armies of Gog and Magog and all of the confederated armies that come with them. Uh, the Turks, the, the, talks, the Bible talks about these different tribal names that really relate to Genesis chapter 10. These different tribes, Gomer, uh, Beth Togomar, um, uh, Meg, uh, Magog, uh, all these tribes are listed there and these are the tribes that are strewn all across Turkey and and Persia as mentioned uh, the stands that I talked about they they come together it says the Lord destroys five six you know roughly eighty five percent of their armies and it sounds as if fire is going against the nations themselves and so that is what's talked about in Ezekiel thirty eight and thirty nine. But if you uh, in in the study, by the way, the article I've written as well as the book is Russia destined to nuke the U.S. I show why these same armies of the North are the armies that destroy the daughter of Babylon. Uh, mm-hmm. It's very clear in the Scripture that these are the same armies, and it's from a geopolitical standpoint right now. Just mm-hmm. reading the tea leaves, I have no special <laughs> word from God, just an analysis. Mm-hmm. That that at the same time, this would happen. I'm not alone. John Price wrote the book, The End of America. He confirmed my uh, scenario. He said that's exactly what I see happening as well. Uh, his book, The End of America, is a study of, uh, of the impact of Islam uh, on America and uh, and his speculation regarding who the Antichrist will be and how he will come about. But it's it's his view as well that what I described of a of a massive nuclear attack on the United States uh, concurrent with the, or just before the attack uh, that is mustered by Gog and Magog against Israel. 
mm-hmm. that this all happens. And yes, you said something a while ago that I, I'd repeat. God protects Israel. He does not mm-hmm. protect the daughter of Babylon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, very... uh, and that's very, very clear in Jeremiah 50 and 51. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very clear. Well, you, you know, again, with our people listening, I think it's 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 imperative to be informed, not to be ignorant, not to be caught off guard, and also to be focusing at the right things. And if you look at the rotting away of the American character and fabric, even our health and and our, our you know the, in the natural way, even our strength, our physical abilities, our mental abilities, uh, our our dependency on welfare, et cetera, et cetera, all of these kinds of things have really. Uh, uh, cause, cause us to become even, even more extremely vulnerable. We're not, we don't know what to do. We don't care what's happening. Just give me my, you know, just give me my little soap operas and my little entertainments. Just let me, right. uh, you know. Let me bury just, my head in the sand like an ostrich. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I guess whatever's going to happen, people will each individually have to make their own choices. And um, this is remarkable. And I, I would hope, Lord, uh, Doug, that you could give us um, you said you're writing this book, and you have some parts of it finished. Is that correct? Could you give us where several we things? Find are, the... Yeah. Well, first off, I've written um, a book that that one can sit down and read in about two hours. It's mm-hmm. uh, a book called "Is Russia Destined to Nuke the U.S.?" and the subtitle is "Examining the Mounting Near-Term Threat of Nuclear War on Our Nation." That mm-hmm. book is available today. Uh, it's on all of the ebook formats, so Kindle, iBook. Nook, you can download it. It's either four ninety five or five ninety five. Um, it's about a twenty thousand word book, which would be about the equivalent of about an eighty five to ninety five page book. It's meant for you to be able to read it in two hours. It, it really covers all of the what's been happening in the really in the last year and a half in the Ukraine and why that's a trigger for uh, World War Three. Then it gets into this issue of Gog and Magog. Um, why America is at risk, why I believe America is the daughter of Babylon, and why um, it could uh, be destroyed by a Russian attack. All right, so that's that book. You can also get a printed copy, a printed copy from uh, Amazon. There are several ministries if you'd like to support uh, Southwest Radio Church or Prophecy in the News or Prophecy Watchers. They're all selling the book along with a companion uh, DVD that mm-hmm. has a PowerPoint, which I think you've had a chance to take a look at. Yeah, it's awesome. It's great, guys. It's about an 82-slide 80, PowerPoint that I, I gave in a prophecy conference in August. And so it really gives a lot more perspective. Uh, I've also written uh, about four or five articles that are on that um, CD-ROM, and also there's a two-hour interview that we go into even more depth on uh, in these subjects uh, that I did with Josh Peck. So... So that's all available for uh, 1995 from these me- these other ministries. If you want to wow. support again, Southwest Radio Church, Prophecy in the News, or Prophecy Watchers, and mm-hmm. um, and but you can also just buy the book, uh, either ebook or printed book from Amazon, and uh, just look for S. Douglas Woodward, S. As in Stephen, and um, and there is hope. I, you know, I don't want to. I don't have much time we have. Um, oh, we have as much time as you have. <laughs> Okay, well, we want to take another at least five minutes or so and talk about okay. why there's hope um, for Good Christians. Idea. You know, because uh, this is a bleak time. I, I believe, and I'm having, you know, not necessarily an easy time getting 
other prophecy teachers and authors and so forth to respect the fact that if what I'm saying is true, it yeah. kind of jumps to the top of the stack in terms of issues that we need to really focus on. You know, um, exactly. I'm, I'm very interested in the paranormal, and I'm interested in giants, and I'm interested yeah. in UFOs. I actually yeah. have an article coming out in Prophecy in the News magazine here on October 1st. Um, it's basically called Out of the Darkness and Into the Light. And what I talk about in that article is just that we we as Christians are fascinated by the supernatural, but we need to be careful because it's a dark thing, and we are mm-hmm. to be children of the light, not children mm-hmm. of the darkness. Right. And uh, God called us into the light, and so we need to be witnesses of the light. So we have to be careful how much time we spend in the yeah. darkness. I know, Margie, in your counseling, you have to deal with some really dark things, yeah. but you know, the the issue, the resolution is to bring things to light. And, right. Uh, exactly. And that brings healing and so Jesus. forth. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And, so, yeah, it, um, and you're right, anyway, and I so, think you're absolutely ahead. right. It brings what you're saying to the top of the stack. I like the way you put that, the top, the top of the pile. This is priority. Yeah. Um, and and, it, and yet it's overwhelming because a lot of people haven't taken the time, and I'll confess to be one of them that just studies the geography, the history, the the the, you right, know, the right. what's going on, the dance that's going out there in the world, and kind of focusing more on more I'm called to focus. But as far as hope goes, where does it yeah. start? It starts with Jesus well, and the truth. Uh, yeah, there's two or three two or three things um, that I'd say. First off, you know, read First John. Read First John chapter one. Uh, chapter one, chapter four. I need to go look, but it's. Uh, read the whole letter, First John, but focus specifically on what it talks about in terms of perfect love casts out fear. Chapter four. And it's done in the context, yeah, I think it's chapter four. It's yep, in the it context of if you have fear, you have fear because of the judgment. But perfect love casteth out fear. And mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. word casteth, you know, which is, of course, an old English word, the Hebrew word, really means it's like it expels, it ex, it's expulsed, it's grabbed a hold of, catapulted away, it's thrown far from you. Meaning that if you have the love, and it's clar- it clarifies in First John, that love is the love of Christ. God is yeah. love. That love comes to live within us. If that love comes to live within us, it will overcome that fear. So the way to overcome fear is to practice love. Practice, you know, love, caring for those you love, your friends, your family, your neighbors, like mm-hmm. what you did this past weekend, going out and, and witnessing to others and telling them about the love of Christ. That is yeah. practicing love, and that that takes fear out of your spirit and out of your soul. Right. And so right. that's, a, that's the basis for it. Secondly, we get into sort of the issue of the rapture and what mm-hmm. happens now. There are many, uh, I tend to be among them, that believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. And mm-hmm. it is very conceivable that the rapture of the church happens right at the midst of this great conflagration of the Gog mm-hmm. and Magog War. In other words, that as the missiles are launched, as those missiles are coming down mm-hmm. in the United States, it is certainly possible that that will be the rapture moment. That will mm-hmm. be when the rapture occurs. We certainly know in, in Genesis six, uh, verse twelve, talking about the you know the blood moons, the blood moons that 
happen. This final blood moon is going to happen in a couple of weeks. I don't believe that is a fulfillment of the Joel 231, uh, Revelation 612 prophecy. Right, right. I think there's going to be so much uh, in a nuclear war, there's going to be so much debris in the atmosphere that the sun certainly would be darkened, the moon would turn blood red, even much redder than what we're used to seeing in these blood moons. So, um, yeah. you know, and, and my friend David Lowe predicts that that these uh, that the resurrection, the rapture, triggers massive earthquakes because biblically, every time you see resurrections occur, true resurrections, you see earthquakes. And go figure, but there is a pattern. And um, and interestingly, at the height of the Gog Magog War, it mm-hmm. talks about a great global earthquake that occurs. And so there's a connection, possibly, between the earthquake that's talked about in Gog yep. and Magog and the earthquake that moves every island and mountain out of its place that's talked about at the opening of the breaking of the sixth seal in Revelation chapter 6. Mm-hmm. And so that is perhaps more than just a coincidence. Um, or a poetic device. It could well be yeah. that saying this is when these things all occur, and that the mm-hmm. sixth seal clearly is the beginning of the tribulation period. And so it's possible that we're dealing with that uh, as we talk about the Scott Magog uh, con- mm-hmm. uh, conflagration. <laughs> so, well, uh, so that's yeah, for those yeah, that believe in the pre-trib. That's when it could happen. The pre-trib. What did you say? The pre-trib rapture. That's. That could be the moment that it happens, but okay. I think yourself even beyond that yeah. for those that are not pre-trib believers that believe that we will be here afterwards, um, and so we could talk about that too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, after the tribulation occurs, I mean, excuse me, after this war occurs, we enter into a dramatic time—the final seven years, or depending upon your view, perhaps the final three and a half years, uh, the so-called mm-hmm. Great Tribulation. Mm-hmm. And uh, if if we find ourselves not raptured, we find ourselves still here on the earth, and we see the Antichrist manifest and declare himself to be God uh, mm-hmm. in some manner on the Temple Mount, which is what is predicted will happen by Christ in Matthew 24 mm-hmm. and in Second Thessalonians um, actually, in First Thessalonians four and in Second Thessalonians chapter two, it's about the revealing of the Antichrist. If that happens, yeah. Christians are going to be imbued with an amazing amount of power, and are going to see miracles abounding happening, just like the seventh chapter of Acts. Yeah. And so, if if we are here and the rapture did not occur, as as pre-tribbers believe, we are going to experience the power of God in an amazing way. And we are going to see a massive um, revival of many, many that come to Christ. Now, yes, many will be martyred, but not everyone will be martyred. And um, But the power of Christ, the love of Christ will be so palpable, so visible, so obvious, that it will be an incredible time. And the Lord will protect us. He will well, here's another thing. If, you, if your scenario yeah, goes go down... The way you suggest, once, um, you know, say America is brought to its knees, nuked, whatever, Mm -hmm. possibly Mm -hmm. rapture at that point, Mm -hmm. Russia Mm -hmm. is, but but say we're not raptured, Russia is going to be destroyed by God. And at that point, those who remain on the earth are going to see the power of the one true God. 
And I think right. that in itself is going to bring a lot of conversions to back to the truth Absolutely. and back to the. And and Ezekiel if we are raptured, says that expressly, he says that expressly. The glory mm-hmm. of God is going to be proclaimed. And remember, the Islamic mm-hmm. nations, including Saudi Arabia, likely will have been destroyed as well. So there's not right. going to be much talk about an Islamic antichrist if this scenario is in fact correct. Right. Um, you know, right. Islam will not be what Islam is today. No, it won't probably be functioning very well at all. But, no it, but if we are raptured and say the, the Israeli, Israelis are not, the 144,000 that are sealed out of the tribes right. um, that are going to be the prophets, they're, they're the ones who are going to also proclaim the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the glory of God to their right. countrymen and then go throughout the world. So they could be doing yeah. the exploits too. So that could be also right. part of what God is saying there. So Indeed. it's Indeed. it's we're living in these amazing times where it's not time to, to stick your head in the sand or slough off or stop reading your Bible or give no. up or feel sorry for yourself. It is time to get up and get out and tell somebody about Jesus and live it yourself. And I keep saying the three R's rest, rejoice, and receive the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that we have that will protect yes. us. God is bigger than all of this. He's the only thing bigger than all of this. You know, even if right. even if part of what you're saying is true, God is mm-hmm. the only one who's ever been able to keep his people and save his people, protect his people, and bring his people safely home to heaven. So Amen. that has been an awesome, awesome radio show. I, I'm going to just have to tell everybody they've got to listen to this. I mean, Really, I mean, thank you for the the, the incredible amount of in, um, research and studying and reading that you do. God bless you. And people, thank you. you know what? Doug probably needs, I'm, I, you didn't talk to me about this, but you know what? You're a servant of the Most High God, and the Bible says those who are taught by the, the teachers of God need to be protect, uh, provided for by those who receive. So if you've got to get it in your heart, I'm going to just lay it on you. Send Doug some money. He probably needs a little money because... You can't be doing all this and have have, it always helps. And so, uh, your website well buy the book and send send them an extra five. (laughs) Hey, (laughs) what's your website again, Doug? Uh, Yeah, my website is uh, is called faithhappens.com. Faith Mm -hmm. hyphen faith hyphen happens dot com. Um, You can also find me probably by doing just a search on. DougWoodward.com. That'll usually get you at my website. Then at uh, Amazon, do a search on S, as in Stephen, S. Douglas Woodward, Douglas with one S. You'll find all my books. All my books are available in print and on uh, Kindle format at Amazon. And um, and that would really help. You know, I encourage you to buy the new book, um, support these other ministries that are selling the book, uh, but yeah, definitely buy and, and I hope this radio show, you know, if if, if uh, you've heard this and, and you find this to have been a, a blessed event and time has been for me and I and I know for Margie, then please tell people about it and, and have them uh come and share the link and, and listen. It's time to watch. The Lord commanded us to watch and we are in a very, very special time. This month really kicks it off. We are now in the ten days of awe. The the uh, atonement the day of atonement is on the 23rd of September. Um, that happens to be exactly um, oh gosh, okay. was it 49 years from the the recapturing of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem? It's exactly that number of prophetic days. 
So we're we're going to see prophetic things begin to happen um, in the next you know year, perhaps more so than uh, any time in our lives. So it is yeah. a special time to be alive. It is an absolute time to be watching, keeping mm-hmm. your eyes peeled, as we used to say, uh, yeah. for what is happening in the world. And we haven't even given a, a, a moment to talk about. Uh, the Pope and all of that stuff. He's also he's no. going to be on the Day of Atonement, nine twenty-three. Interesting. Yeah, he's going to be spending spending the night in the White House oh, on yeah. that day. Interesting, so, boy, oh boy. Well, one, one be, more thing. Could it be interesting? Yeah, go ahead. It could be. Well, this is kind of just an aside. Just for those of you who might want to see Doug on video, um, the Minneapolis Underground Summit videos that Doug you spoke with us uh, at yes. the conference in September two years ago. Those are available at liferecovery.com and, uh, or call us, actually. And uh, it's a quite a long series. We've got, I think, nine videos that are over an hour long each. And then all of the talks are on CD as well. So this, this is where you talked about Babylon, I believe. Um, that was one of the yes, talks. Yes, I did. Right? I talked about the, the final Babylon, and then I also talked about, the uh, I think, the mind control issue in America, and I revealed stuff in that talk that I haven't revealed in any other talk uh, in terms of of the mind control, the DID, um, all the stuff that you deal with in your counseling. So people probably will find it very, very fascinating. So, yeah. Did you get your copy? I sent you one. I hope you got it. I did. I'm looking at it right now. Thank you so much. Okay. That's the Minneapolis Underground Summit, and we have... Uh, Doug and Russ Dizdar was with us on that, Rob Skiba, Dana Melchow, and myself. And so uh, check it out, people, liferecovery.com, easy. Doug, God bless mm. you and prosper you, you and uh, you protect so you. And you Thank are you. truly, I, I'd say you're one of the best. you got the best eyeballs out there looking at what's no. going on and putting it together. So well, I got some new looking. glasses, and that helps. And I'm so glad you're my friend so that I don't have Thank to do all this you. work. Uh, <laughs> I just well, listen to I, you, I, Doug. We'll have to come again. I, I just finished up, um, maybe we can yeah. talk about this again in a few weeks, a study yeah. on the escape of Adolf Hitler from the bunker in Germany. Oh, well, let's do that. How about two weeks from now or so? Yeah, two or three weeks from now. Oh, we'll two or three. Okay, we'll, we'll connect it. You people yeah, we'll set a time and do that. Keep in touch. Okay. God bless you. Have an awesome day. God bless you. Thank you. Bye-bye. I have an emergency. What is your location? for yourself.